Focusing on that second verse, I would like to read uh, the first five verses of the passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Uh, In the Greek, verse 2 is a continuation of verse 1. It's all one sentence. Uh, Paul is unpacking for us the benefits that became ours the moment we first believed in Christ. We have already seen one of those, namely, peace with God. But now, as if that were not enough, Paul goes even further and stacks more blessings on top of that one. Not only do we have peace with God through Jesus, but we have access into His grace, and we have joy and the hope of the glory of God. These are precious gifts that are ours in Christ. But we won't understand how precious these gifts are if we do not understand what they are. And so tonight, our goal is to unpack these two blessings that we find in verse 2 that Christians have through Jesus Christ. And so the first part of this message is going to be devoted to explaining what it means that we have access into this grace in which we stand. And then the second part of the message will be spent explaining what it means that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So let's jump in. First, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand What does that mean? Well, let's figure it out. First of all, what is this grace? And what does it mean that we stand on it? And how did we obtain access to it? First, what is this grace that we are in, that we are living in as Christians? Many think that Paul is speaking of a specific grace, a specific gift from God, Maybe he still has in mind the peace from verse 1. Maybe he has in mind the the grace of justification by faith, which has been his grand theme for the last couple of chapters. I would suggest that Paul is speaking here about grace itself. Through Jesus Christ, we not only have peace with God, but we've actually entered into a state of grace. What is grace? A common, useful definition of grace is unmerited favor. You've probably heard that before. Grace is unmerited favor. And I think that's the idea. 
God looks upon us with kindness. God's favor is upon us. He is not only at peace with us, but He actually loves us. His heart is drawn towards us. As Christians, we live in grace. We live in the reality that God has blessed us, that God is blessing us, that God will bless us, and that all of this, these blessings are undeserved. We cannot grasp the blessings we've already received, and we know that the best is yet to come. We're no longer under the condemnation of the law. We're no longer headed towards hell. We are living in a state of salvation, in a state of being right with God, in a state of having our future secure in His hands. His favor is on us. That's what it means to live in the grace of God. What does it mean that we stand on this grace? And the answer, of course, is that we're not resting on our good works. We're not resting on any supposed goodness in ourselves. We are not confident about our relationship with God or about our future in heaven because we think that somehow we've earned those, that somehow we are deserving of them. Rather, we stand completely on the grace of God. We know that it is He who has set His favor upon us. It is He who has chosen us. He who sent His Son to die for us. He who brought the Gospel to us. He who produced faith in our hearts. It is God who put His Spirit within us. He who is sanctifying us. He who is keeping our faith from withering under trials. If our salvation depended upon us, we could lose it. But it doesn't. It depends entirely upon the grace of God. And therefore, we are secure. We stand on God's grace as a solid rock. He who began this good work in us will bring it to completion. God's grace, His unmerited favor is upon us. It has been given to us. It remains on us. It will never be taken away from us for all eternity. Is that not something to rejoice in? And Is that not something to be so thankful for? It's so different than who we used to be. But, number three, how did we obtain access into this grace? Because really, the emphasis of this verse is not on the grace itself, but on the access into it. Access is the direct object. What did we obtain through Jesus Christ? We obtained access into this grace. And this gets back to what Paul was teaching us in Romans 3. Though God desired to bless us, and God desired to be merciful to us, there was something that was blocking our access to the blessings of God and the the mercies of God and the grace of God. Remember the Garden of Eden? Remember how God placed cherubim there to guard the garden? Remember the sword of fire that could turn in any direction? Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden because of sin. 
It is sin that keeps people from being able to know the favor, the blessings of God. Imagine a warrior gathering his courage. He takes a run at the cherubim, hoping he can somehow defeat the cherubim and get into the garden and live in the blessings of God. Immediately, the sword of fire swings at him, and he is defeated, lying dead in the dirt. He may have been the greatest warrior in the world, but it is not courage that gets people into heaven. God is righteous, and heaven is a world of righteousness. What keeps people apart from God's blessings is unrighteousness. Talked about it this morning. God cannot remain righteous and bless sinners. God cannot be a fair and true judge and then reward those who have done evil with great blessings. So you see, our unrighteousness and God's holiness are what kept us from access into the grace of God. So how did we get this access? And the answer, of course, is it was given to us through Jesus Christ. At the cross, all of the wicked deeds of all of God's people were placed on Jesus. He bore the punishment for them. He bore the wrath of God completely. If we are Christians, our sins have been paid for. Access is now open to us into the unmerited favor of God. Justice and mercy are no longer enemies. They have become friends through Jesus. By faith, Paul says, we have access into this grace. Faith is the key that opens the door into the grace of God. But faith in what? Faith in whom? It is by faith in the One who was our representative, living in our place, dying in our place, It is by faith in Him that we enter into the grace of God and experience His blessings forever. Today people ask, how can a a good God throw people who are good into hell? And of course that's the wrong question because God would never throw any good person into hell. But as Romans 3 teaches, there are no good people. And so it's really a hypothetical. Uh, The real question is, Uh, How can God remain good and bless sinners? That was the crucial question. It was answered by Christ at the cross. And therefore, we have access into the grace of God. That's the first part of the verse, right? The moment you believe in Jesus, the moment you first place your faith in Him and follow Him, from that moment through the rest of your life, You are living in the grace of God. And that access was yours through Christ. But now look at the second part of our verse. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The verse part of our verse spoke about something that happened for us in our past. Right? We obtained access into grace in the past. The moment we first believed it happened. But this part of the verse speaks of a present reality. Something that we are experiencing this moment, namely, we rejoice. We are rejoicing now. If we are true Christians, there is some measure of joy present in our lives. And this joy that is present in our lives is based on a future reality. 
We're living in God's grace now. God is being kind to us now. God is at work in us now. But all that He is doing now is to bring us to a future reality. It is the hope of the glory of God that is bringing us joy now. But what does that mean? First, let's remind ourselves about this word hope. Remember, in the New Testament, the word hope isn't used the way we often do. right? We often use the word hope to speak of something that we would like to see happen, but it may happen or it may not happen. right? I hope my team wins the Super Bowl. I hope these jeans go on sale. I hope I get to drive a Ferrari one day. It might happen. Probably won't happen. (laughs) Right? May or may not. It's not the way the New Testament uses the word hope. The New Testament uses the word hope to refer to an eager expectation of something that has been promised by God. It is guaranteed. It is coming. You know it's coming. And (coughs) excuse me. You are living in the experience of waiting for it. Kind of like a child going to sleep on Christmas Eve. And they know that Christmas morning is coming. They know it's coming. They're eager for it to come. They, they want it to come quicker. It seems like it's the longest night of the year. Christians live in the hope of what we know is coming, what God has promised to us. In particular, as Paul points out here, we are eagerly looking forward to the glory of God. Now, there are two aspects of this. I'm going to mention them to you. We are looking forward to beholding the glory of God, and we are looking forward to sharing in the glory of God. These are the hope into which we entered the moment we believed on Jesus. And with that hope in our hearts right now, we have joy. So let's take those two kinds of glory of God. That's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on. First, beholding the glory of God. We live in the eager expectation, the hope that one day we are going to behold in its fullness the glory of our God. Is there anything that would be more awesome for us to see than God Himself? Remember Moses, Exodus 33. What does he cry out to God? Please, show me your glory. Show me your glory. God responds by telling Moses that He will allow His glory to pass by. But Moses will not be allowed to see the face of God God told Moses, no one can see my face and live. Moses was hidden in a cleft of the rock. And God passed by. And when God passed by, we're told that Moses was permitted to see the backside of God. We're told that the glory that Moses beheld in just seeing God's backside was such that Moses' face began to shine with the radiance of what he had seen. He didn't realize this, but when he came down the mountain to talk to the people of Israel, everyone was afraid to even come near to him because his face was now shining. And in the end, he had to place a veil over his face so that he could approach the people. 
Now that was just from seeing God's backside. Imagine if he had seen God's face. Well, we get to Psalm 17, 15, and we hear David using this kind of language. In Psalm 17, 15, David says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. The idea is that David is going to die. But in that moment that he dies, he will awaken and behold the very face of God. 1 Corinthians 13 talks about how now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. And so here is a great gift. It's hard to think of a better one that God is giving to us through Jesus Christ. It became yours the moment you believed on Jesus. This future became yours. You will one day behold the very face of God. Is that not incredible? This is what we were created for. If we're true believers, this is what we desire most of all. This is the greatest of all imaginable delights. Now, did you notice the connection between beholding God's glory and sharing in God's glory? We heard it in Psalm 17, 15, right? Listen to Psalm 17, 15 again. David says, As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. Okay, so there's beholding God's glory. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. In some way, David is going to be like God. In some way, not only is he going to behold the glory of God, but he's actually going to have some share in it. He's going to be like God in some way. John says the same thing. Listen again, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. The Bible over and over and over again, when it speaks of our future and the glory of God, it brings these two ideas together. We will see the glory of God and we will be like God. We will behold the glory of God and we will participate in some way in the glory of God. This seems to be what Paul has in mind when he says that We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're sinners now. We struggle now. We're fighting temptations now. But there's going to come a day when we're going to be pure, when we're going to be holy, when our fight will be over. We will share in the glory of God's holiness. How will we be like God when we are glorified? In what way will we be like God when we are glorified. Remember our theological terms of salvation, right? Justification, being made right with God by faith. Sanctification, being made 
holy over time as the Holy Spirit works in us. Justification, declared righteous, sanctification, being made what we've already been declared to be. And then when we die or Jesus comes back, whichever comes first, glorification. It's the culmination of sanctification as we are made perfect as we are made into the image of Christ. On that day, we will share in God's glory. But how? I want to mention three ways that we will not be like God. And then I want to mention two ways that we will be like God. Three ways that we will not be like God. And two ways that we will. First, we will not be like God in His divinity. We will not be like God in His divinity. God has always existed. There was never a time when He was not. He is the origin of everything that exists. He is the fountain of all goodness in the universe. And this is what it means for Him to be God. And you and I will never be like God in this way. In heaven, when we are perfect and holy, we too will be little fountains of goodness and everything we say and everything we think and everything we do, everything <laughs> excuse me, everything that comes out of us will be good and so we'll be little miniature fountains of goodness the way God is a fountain of goodness. But the goodness that comes out of us will only come out of us because it was placed there by the Holy Spirit. He is the true source of all goodness. In heaven, or even now, God is like the sun and we are like the moon. In heaven, our glory will be like the sun shining upon the moon. The moon shines bright and is a massive circle of glory in the sky. But all of the glory that we see coming from the moon is not inherent in the moon. It's a reflection of the sun. And this is how it will be with us and God in heaven. All the glory that we will have in heaven will actually be the glory of God reflected in us. He is the fountain. He is the origin of all goodness. He is God. And we are not. And so we will not be like God in His divinity. Second, we will not be like God in His infinite sovereignty. In His infinite sovereignty. And I want to be careful here. There is a sense in which you and I will have sovereignty in heaven. God created Adam in the Garden of Eden, and He told him to reign, didn't He? He said, have dominion. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Even today, there's no doubt that of all the living things in our natural world, it is man who has sovereignty. It is human beings who have dominion over this planet. We create zoos and put animals in them. They don't create zoos and put us in them, right? We're the ones in charge. We're the ones who rule. But of course, this sovereignty is very limited. And our dominion on earth is far underneath the dominion of God. Well, so also in the new heavens and the new earth, when that day and when our hope is fully realized comes, we will have a measure of sovereignty we will reign with Christ. Revelation 22.5 And night will be no more. They will need no light 
or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. So there is a kind of dominion, there is a kind of sovereignty that you and I will know in eternity. But this sovereignty is far different from the infinite sovereignty of God. That is His and His alone, and we will never share in that glory. We will never share in that part of who He is. We will never be like God in the degree of sovereignty that He has. He will justly and forever be over us. He will be our head, our supreme ruler. Even as we reign in the new heavens and the new earth with Christ the Son, God the Father will ultimately rule over all. 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28, very mysterious passage, but it explains how the kingdom of God, when it has been fully established and secured by Christ, will be given to God the Father as a finished product and a finished project. And God the Father will be the supreme ruler. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 28. Paul says, Then comes the end. When He, Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for He, Christ, must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under His feet. When it says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him, that is, When the Scripture says that God put all things under subjection to Jesus, it doesn't mean that God the Father is under subjection to Jesus. right? We understand that. It is plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. But when all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him that God may be all in all. And so there's this passage in which we're told that in the future, Christ in the new heavens and the new earth, with a perfect people living on a perfect land, Christ will take the kingdom that the Father has given to the Son, and the Son will say to the Father, now, here it all is. Here is me as the King. Here are the people. Here is the land. Here is this perfect reflection of your glory. It's all yours. You be all in all. Folks, that's a glory that's not ours to have. That's a glory that belongs to God and to God alone. He is the Most High. Finally, we will not be like God in His intrinsic worthiness. We will not be like God in His intrinsic worthiness. Here is a great difference between us and God that will never change. God is intrinsically worthy of all worship and glory and adoration and honor. Though we will be made perfectly righteous we will never be fully worthy of the blessings we are receiving. There will never be a day when we will forget that we were once sinners, enemies of God, deserving of hell. As we live in eternal blessing, as we bask in eternal joy and eternal peace, we will always remember with happiness that at the bottom of our blessings is the grace of of God. The foundation of our eternal joy is God's mercy. He pitied us when we were enemies. He purchased us 
by the blood of His Son. The blessings that we will know in heaven will forever be undeserved blessings. The worship we will offer to God with our hearts and with our lips and with our actions is a deserved worship. 2 Samuel 22.4 I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So in His divinity, in His infinite sovereignty, in His intrinsic worthiness, God will forever be different from us. These aspects of His glory are His and His alone, and we should be happy that it is so. We don't want to be like Satan, longing to be God ourselves. We are satisfied to be His creatures and to belong to Him. We love the fact that God exists to be the center of our attention. He is the one who is to take center stage. He is the one worthy of adoration. We are the ones created to adore Him. And so we should be happy with that. But those things said, there are two ways in which we will participate in the glory of God. Two ways in which we will be like God. At the end, this is our hope. This is our eager expectation. One day we will behold the glory of God in its fullness. One day we will participate in the glory of God and share in it. How? First, we will be like God in His holy character. We will be like God in His holy character. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, will complete His work in us and we will be conformed to the image of Christ who is the image of God. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God. That image was distorted, twisted by the fall. But when Christ has finished His work in us, all that was lost at the fall will be restored and we will again bear the character of God. Our impatience will be no more and patience will mark us. Our foolishness will have been taken away from us and we will be wise. Bitterness, hatred, unrighteous anger will no longer persist in our lives. God's love will permeate us. There is coming a day when we will be a faithful people, a promise-keeping people, a people whose thoughts and words and actions are righteous and clean and pure. Are you longing for that day? Do you desire to be holy? This hope, this eager expectation that you will one day be holy is what is to be bringing us joy today. If you value money more than wisdom or worldly success rather than humility, this hope is not going to matter to you. You don't know what Paul's talking about when he says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. But if you have tasted something of the goodness of God and you long to share in that goodness, you long for that goodness to characterize you, then this truth that one day you will be like God is the hope that is set before you and you can bear anything that happens today because you're rejoicing in the fact that that day is coming. It's guaranteed. You're just waiting for it. It's Christmas Eve. When's it coming? When's it coming? Today's hard, but I can make it through today because tomorrow's Christmas. It's coming. And I'm going to be holy. I'm going to be pure.
<coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> David Brainerd was a missionary to the Native Americans of New England in the 1700s. David Brainerd kept a journal, which was later published by Jonathan Edwards. David Brainerd felt in a way more deeply than most the desire to be holy. I'm going to read just one entry from his journal. The date is Thursday, November 4th. But I'm not sure what year it is. It's the 1700s. David Brainerd was a, a young man in his 20s. He died when he was 29. But he wrote this in his journal, Thursday, November 4th. I saw much of my nothingness most of this day, but felt concerned that I had no more sense of my insufficiency and unworthiness. Oh, it is sweet lying in the dust, but it is distressing to feel in my soul that hell of corruption that still remains in me. In the afternoon, I had a sense of the sweetness of a strict, close, and constant devotedness to God. And my soul was comforted with His consolations. My soul felt a pleasing yet painful concern lest I should spend some moments without God. Oh, may I always live to God. In the evening, I was visited by some friends and spent the time in prayer and such conversation as tended towards our edification. It was a very comfortable season to my soul and I felt even more an intense desire to spend every moment for God. God is unspeakably gracious to me continually. In times past, He has given me inexpressible sweetness in the performance of duty. Frequently, my soul has enjoyed much of God, but has been ready to say, Lord, it is good to be here and to indulge sloth while I have lived on the sweetness of my feelings. But of late, God has been pleased to keep my soul hungry almost continually so that I have been filled with a kind of pleasing pain. When I really enjoy God, I feel my desires of Him the more insatiable, and my thirstings after holiness the more unquenchable. You hear what he's saying? That sometimes when I'm with God and I'm, I'm dwelling on the glories of God, and I sense God's presence with me, and I, I want to be holy for God, the more I'm with Him, the more I want to be like Him. And it's like a hunger that never goes. The more I seek to grow in holiness, the more I want to grow in holiness. God has blessed me, He says, with this, this hunger, this thirst that is unquenchable. I want to be like my Lord. The Lord will not allow me to feel as though I were fully supplied or satisfied. He keeps me still reaching forward. I feel barren and empty, as though I could not live without more of God. I feel ashamed and guilty before Him. Oh, I see that the law is spiritual and I am carnal. I do not, I cannot live to God. Oh, for holiness. Oh, for more of God in my soul. Oh, this pleasing pain. It makes my soul press after God. He quotes Psalm 17, 15. Then I shall be satisfied when I awake in God's likeness but never, never before then. Consequently, I am engaged to press towards the mark day by day. Oh, that I may feel this continual hunger and not be held back, but rather be animated by every cluster from Canaan to reach forward in the narrow way for the full enjoyment and possession of the heavenly inheritance. Oh, that I may never loiter in my heavenly journey. 
These insatiable desires after God and holiness continued the two next days with a great sense of his own exceeding unworthiness and the nothingness of the things of this world. My question to you is, can you even relate? Do you know what it is to be caught up in deep longings for holiness? God, I want to be more like you. I want these sins out of my life. I want to be a pure husband. I want to be a faithful father. I want to be a a righteous worker. What is it for you? Do you have these longings? If you don't have those longings, you can't rejoice in the hope of the glory of God because the hope is it's coming. And the more deeply you feel the desire for holiness, the more glorious that hope will be for you and the greater your joy will be today as you look forward to that day. Does that make sense? That makes sense to everybody. So we will be like God in His holy character. This one's quick, but I felt I had to mention it. We will be like God in His holy acts. In His holy acts. That is, not only will we share in the glory of God's character, the way the moon shares in the glory of the sun, but we will actually be allowed in the new heavens and the new earth to imitate the very acts of God. Right? He is infinitely sovereign. We will have a limited kind of dominion. He creates and maintains and makes beautiful. We will be granted to do much the same thing in the new heavens and the new earth. God speaks and relates to others, so shall we. Right? All of these things that characterize the actions of God on a, on a macro scale, we will be able to imitate Him in holiness on a smaller scale. And so we will be like God in His character. We will be like God in His actions. We will reflect His glory and worship Him as we imitate Him forever and ever. And so Mount Hermon, this is our hope. This is what we are eagerly expecting. One day we will see God's glory. One day we will share in God's glory. This world of vanity is going to give way to something far better. Here is the basis of our joy today. Our eyes are set on tomorrow. Our eyes are set on the day to come. The joy we have in what is coming is what gives us strength to face Monday and Tuesday. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So what are the blessings that became ours the moment we first believed in Jesus? Well, so far we've learned that we had peace with God that very moment we believed. Second, we entered into the very grace of God, into His unmerited, glorious favor. And third, we were given joy in this great hope that we will one day experience the glory of God. I hope these things are refreshing and encouraging. Let's pray.